Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. I'm Dan Cottrell and with me on the pod is Reese Davis. So welcome to the podcast, Reese. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. Um, Reese is uh, works with London Irish. He's going to uh, ask him a few questions, or he's going to tell us a bit about that in a moment. And um, particularly keen to catch up with Reese because we've done a few things together quite recently, uh, especially around games and the way that coaches can make more of games and the way they ask questions, the way they challenge players, and the way that they challenge themselves. So, Reese, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment. Yeah, so my, my role at the moment is the Academy Coach Development Officer at London Irish. Yeah, very fancy t- title. Um, we, I, my, my role is basically to develop uh, all the coaches within the DPP programme uh, and anybody working within the, the, uh, the programme itself. Um, just to develop them, make sure they're growing in the right direction that we want to, challenging them on uh, how they should be coaching, should I say. Um, and outside so of that... So just, just going back to that then, so you're, you're challenging them. Now, if someone is challenged, sometimes they're going to curl up and say, I don't really want to listen to. Now, I'm sure that you don't go around... Uh, banging on doors and saying you're doing the wrong thing so how are you challenging them by and giving them a positive experience well yeah I mean it's the way you interpret challenge like yep. my challenge would be to, for them to grow so I wouldn't necessarily go around you're, you're right I don't go around saying oh you're doing this wrong or, or um, you should be doing this it's it's more about giving the freedom of what they're like giving them the freedom to explore their coaching process shall we say or their craft is what the word is used uh, quite often um, and then working with them to see how you offer them support should we say or, or maybe say uh, could we try this approach or have you ever tried this um, it's, it's just basically trying to give them the tools that they need to succeed because success in their environment could look completely different um, with every single coach so we've got 37 coaches within the program and uh, every single one of their needs is completely unique. So yeah. you're right. When you say challenge, it challenge them as an individual, um, just how they can better themselves. And that's not done in a negative way, like, yeah. really not. I mean, they're not going to join the, the program unless they, they know up front that they're going to be challenged and put on the spot. And anyone, any coach who, comes along and says I've, I've cracked it is probably not the sort of coach you're going to have on the on the program already so you're saying it's each coach comes with their own unique personalities what's the sort of common thread that you find when you're opening up these conversations I'd say we're quite blessed in the sense that the the coaches that are in the program are all fairly um, susceptible to uh, like feedback they all listen. They all take it. They're quite good coaches in that sense. Um, what would I say that a coach, a new coach coming into the program, kind of brings? Yes. Yeah, so when we look, think about a games example, 
they'll play a game, but it's actually how, how are they coaching through that game? Mm. Um, and I know that you've seen a lot of the stuff that we've been putting out recently on um, how do we actually coach through games. Uh, and I, I would hope by the time that they've been in the programme for a month or so that they fully understand actually this is how the kind of outcomes that we want from uh, us playing through these games. Uh, I'm not sure if that answers your question quite rightly. No, no, I think it, I think that the I suppose it it's important because it it underpins the theme that probably you've been very keen to put across in uh, in recent weeks, which is that why you are doing it is often one of the main problems that coaches have. They don't really understand why they're doing it. They sense it's the right thing, and sensing it is not enough because they need to be asking the right questions at the right time, the right putting the right inter- interventions and challenges. You're coaching as well yourself? Yes, yeah, yes. I'm coaching uh, a team in the city called the HAC, uh, standing for the Honourable Artillery Company. Um, yeah, that's my uh, coaching kick normally, uh, as well as uh, I was in charge of the Berkshire ladies as well. And with the HAC, do you have to coach in a striped blazer or are you allowed to wear a tracksuit? <laughs> um, well, it's, it's funny. Like the, I, I, Most people, when you say the HAC, and if anybody's listening out there, I mean, it's worth looking up because obviously their playing ground is probably, I think it's the most expensive pitch, if not in, in the country, probably in the world, in the sense mm. that the, the, the real estate that it's on, um, it's bang in the middle of London. I don't think you can get any more um it's on city road so it's uh, yeah it's it's pretty central to london um and the fact that there's a bit of grass there is crazy <laughs> um so yeah it's very posh inside we don't get to play on it every week because of obviously there's a they've got a lot of they they use the pitch uh, rent it out harlequins use it saracens have used it i know that the london scholars rugby league use it so it gets it's get gets a high turnover of people using it which uh that means that we don't always get there but when we do oh, it's, it's 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 fascinating it's a it's a pretty cool place to play or even yeah, coach yeah um, so yeah no i i don't have to wear blazers no that's really <laughs> I, uh, it's it is nice, I must admit, and I would def- definitely recommend getting yourself over there at one point, Dan. You you are more more than welcome to have a free invite from myself to come and see what it's like at, at some point. Yeah, definitely. Well, I'll dig out my cravat and uh, I will uh, come come on down. <laughs> so the first question I was going to ask you was um, we talked about a little bit earlier is uh, you've been keen to improve approaches to using games in training with your coaches and on the challenges. Um, now, what's the balance between games and other activities in training um well i suppose the key word that you use there mate is actually balance um it's not it's not all of one and it's not all of the other it's definitely you need a fine balance between uh your drills your small-sided games your free play tactical warfare um you need to understand how you get those through games and drills uh and it's it's yeah i suppose that's what with the work that i've been doing recently i suppose that's where we've been trying to look at well if we're do, doing the games how can we challenge them in the correct way which is going to put us give us a a more guided outcome um and then use 
what we're using in the game, how we can put that into a drill context on the side. So I know most people hate using the word drill, but um, I quite well for me it just sums it up because you do you're doing it repetition over again. So um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think the fine the fine word like you said is the balance. Um, as long as we can get that right uh, and what that looks like, um, then I think we're onto a winner. Right, so let's say we're down at uh, HAC on a typical training session, um, where there is there is such things as typical training session. Roughly, what does that session look like, so we can get an idea? Because I mean, I, I know that we can sense there should be a balance, but how much time are they actually doing what might be called a game, and how much time might they be doing what we might call a drill? Um, good question. I suppose. <sighs> It's when when we talk about drills, I suppose how much we would define drills. So a lot of my drills, if you were to say it, were they could be focused around, they could pretty much be a game, but a very mm. small sided game. Um, maybe split into two and having two different coaches coaching that at the same time. Um, but I, I imagine, well, a, a HAC typical session would evolve around a game. Um, so we would have our our game to start off with, uh, which we would uh, layer to make sure that we're we're developing it as it as it goes on the flow, um, and then. So just tell me what uh, what do you mean by layering or putting a layer in? So the constraints that we use. Uh, so let's 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 use an example. Uh, say we are playing one of the games that I sent out on. Uh, Twitter the other week which say something like Fiji touch where all you want to do is try and hold the ball carrier up to cause a turnover now that would that would be focused around our defense um, and in our defense there we're looking at how can we jam in so step in try and get a double hit um, we would also so our skill zone our like breakout area our drill would be focused around the double hit and how we could actually work to try and hold those players up um, so that when they go, when they come back into the game, we're actually using the skills that we've learned in a different, in, uh, away from the game, uh, and then put it into the game itself. Um, we would also work on both sides of the ball there as well. So, okay, the defence are trying to hold up the attack. What can the attack do? Where are the opportunities if um, if the defence are trying to do that? So, if we know somebody's trying to double work to get a double tackle. They're probably leaving a space somewhere else. So how do we exploit that space um, as a defend, as an atta- supporting attacking player? Like, do we support the space? Do we support the ball? Um, do we support the player? Are we looking at? Um, like, there's all these kind of questions that we would kind of work out, and we'd work that out beforehand as a, as a coaching group and work out what we want, where we want the coach uh, the session to be guided. Um, all right, so just going back to that, then uh, I'm interested in what you've just said because it's very important that coaches need to have a plan for chaos. So you're having the game uh, and things are going to go right and go wrong, and you're going to be asking questions, but actually you're going to have uh, a menu of questions that you're going to roll out to help them in certain circumstances. So if then if there's something else which is going wrong, and this is I'm, I want you to tell me I'm on the right wrong track here. So something else is going wrong, but you're really you're still concentrating on say maybe supporting the space or supporting the ball. You're going to still answer the ask the questions around 
what your focus is. You're not going to just let it free create a free form training session, which you might dip into uh, 20 different aspects of the game. You know, you're going to say quite clearly, we're going to be looking at these aspects. Uh, yeah, I definitely outline the outcomes, and I would definitely want it to be steered down that direction. Mm. But I suppose what you're saying there is actually, if it goes off in a different tangent, if it's going somewhere different, um, I wouldn't really. I'd put it on myself as a coach, on the planning side of things, that I haven't actually planned the session in the way that I wanted it to go. If it's going off in a different direction, right? So, my my thought behind that would be actually if it's going to go off in a, if it's going off in a slightly different direction i would never really say i would never really call it and say no actually that's not the, the that's not the way that we want to go because i suppose their solutions and them solving the problems that we're creating for them if they don't do it in the way necessarily that we've we want them to it doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong so i would always if they find a different solution and a different path i'd probably go down that route and I'd probably go down that rabbit hole and go, actually, this is, uh, it's not the outcome I necessarily wanted, but it's, it's a, it's a very good outcome. Um, like I, I, we could, it's a, it's still a learning outcome for these guys. Um, I'm still want to experience it and see where it takes us. So that would definitely, that's how I would approach it. Um, and the reason why I say I haven't done my job as a coach, if I haven't planned that right is, you can almost guarantee where certain sessions are going to go. So, you, you if you know your players well enough, you, you know what kind of players will try to solve the problem in a unique way. You'll you'll know what kind of players won't want to solve a problem in a unique way. So you can kind of guess where the drill, where the game is going to go. Um, and I think once you understand that. Uh, it's fairly easy to layer the game and what what I mean by layer is where do I set the appropriate challenges the appropriate um, constraints so maybe they're going to score in different areas or uh, maybe they're, they're getting success around the double hit that we can change the skill needed for the double hit so it might be now from now you can't double hit you have to just rip the ball out in the contact so it can only be rip on feet um, so we're just giving them different um, rules you could say rules to the game which are going to just end up uh, giving us different outcomes or the desired outcomes that we want yeah, I'm interested in the idea of problem solving uh, anyway because my sense is that sometimes problem solving is a myth that uh, the players are going to come up with something which is so innovative on the spot that uh, you're going to say wow why didn't I think of that but really if you, as you say, if you know your players and you know the game, you should be able to pretty much see all the different ways they're going to try and solve the problem because really they're going to draw on previous knowledge, which you should understand or should know. And you can say, well, uh, there are, there are, let's say there are a dozen ways to pass the ball out of contact. Um, I don't know where there are. Maybe we should work out whether there are a dozen ways. So let's say there are a dozen ways to pass the ball out of contact. And... Uh, I'm going to set up this game and eventually they're going to use number eight and number nine and number 10 on the list, which they don't normally use. And so they, they are solving the problem for themselves, but really they're using out, they're using processes, techniques, which they've probably used before, but in a different context. So the, it strikes me that if you're going to set up a game, 
you almost have to brainstorm maybe with other coaches what are the different ways that the players we know are going to come up with solutions and then you can you've got a set of rules or constraints which then either enhance those or say sort of take them away from that i mean for instance like uh, to make sure you don't rip the ball the player might stuff the ball up his jumper now uh, that obviously isn't very practical as a as a game outcome uh, but you would you would then set that, that as a rule so in in terms of problem solving what are you hoping from the players are you are you i mean i'm trying not trying to lead a, an answer here are you hoping they're going to come up with some of the solutions that you've sort of think they're going to come up with or are you sort of hoping they're going to surprise you? What's what's your sense of what you want to get as an outcome? Uh, definitely, I would definitely have a, like I said before, before this is before the session has even started, this is in the planning phase with other coaches. Like, we would definitely have an outcome of they're going to do this or they're going to try this. Yeah. Um, it's like you said, it's more about the surprise of, them coming up with a different way or an alternative way or a more creative way of thinking. Um, and that's when I wouldn't ever stop it. I wouldn't never mm. challenge it. It would be like, well, actually, how can we make this work? Like, he's right or my player's right. He or she's on the spot here and they, they, they've come up with this. And I can't punish them for beating the game, mm. which, is, uh, which, is a, which is a phrase used quite a lot, beating the game. Um, yeah, it, it, for me, that... That's always a, a benefit, and what we should be expecting our players to do. We should be expecting them to problem solve in their their own unique way. Mm. But I, I think, um, in terms of them surprising us, it's it's great if they do surprise us. Uh, but if we are good enough as coaches, and this is obviously um, for more experienced coaches, they're going to say, "I'm not going to be surprised if they do something slightly different here." But it, it's going to be unlikely that they're going to come up with something which I've never even considered before. Uh, but we want them to come up with those uh, those ways. Now, um, it'll be interesting to see in a game situation how many times you've been genuinely surprised. Uh, I'm not saying that's not the case. So it sounds like I'm putting it the other way. You've never been surprised because I think we've always been surprised by them. But it's that almost being prepared to be I think they're going to come up with roughly like this. And if they do, then I'm going to reward this. But if they then do this, then probably I'm going to stop the game or just change it a little bit because we're not going to get the outcome. So uh, I suppose yeah. you've got to be prepared for both. Uh, one wouldn't ever want to make the players, box the players in at all. It's just allow them to think think for themselves. And of course, we don't have all the answers. If only we did. So I'm going to ask you another question then, uh, which is about games. Um, do you think that all the players just want to play games all the time? Um, I would actually say no. Uh, sounds really silly, but we if the drills and the, the um, other activities that you're doing are fun and engaging and like when we're talking about the old-fashioned thing here of there's not people just standing up and queuing, mm. I, I guarantee players would probably enjoy that more sometimes because they're getting more touches they're getting more they're working on skills that they might need to work on um a lot more that actually they get a lot more results out of that should i say mm. Mm. um 
and especially living in the modern era that we do now where actually kids are more connected to celebrities or their favorite idols um via social media that actually, they, they generate a lot of ideas from those environments mm. um if i take your local kid now he will probably if, if we had johnny wilkinson back in the day uh, who's the who's the new, newest johnny wilkinson kind of player um who's your well, fly and farrell i suppose is yeah yes so please look sorry. up to the posts yeah yeah so like uh, owen farrell for example i'm sure if you followed him on twitter well he's not a great example because he's quite uh, alienated from it all yeah. but it's yeah. somebody even if we're talking props here like carl sinclair you follow carl yeah. sinclair follow him on twitter follow him on instagram kids these days which they will uh, they'll see like uh drills that he'll be doing in his backyard just mm. to generate um some attention and it's the same with it all, all the all the positions on the pitch there all these celebrities all these players who are playing at the elite level they will all show skills videos or drills that they're doing in their own time which are classed as extras mm. now kids see that and then they go and replicate it right? mm. we think that most of these kids stay inside all day and sit down on uh playstations they do that for a little bit but they do go outside if it's a nice weather so mm. they're learning these skills and it's not necessarily that they're playing games you you'll we'll see a great example of it in this uh coronavirus now i know we just said we weren't going to talk about it but mm. some of these kids out there will pick up a ball and they'll go outside and they'll watch something that they've seen on social media through one of their their sporting idols and they will do it and replicate it a thousand times and mm. before you know it their skill has improved in that area Mm. um now is that them going out and playing a game the whole time no i think when they're with a with their mates yes sometimes they will want to play a game most of the time but i actually yeah i, I think kids do enjoy these days going away and uh well i should say players enjoy these days going away and working on their craft and doing the extras which is mm. uh completely away from the game environment so yeah to your question do i think play, kids want to play um all the top play games all the time well, i would say no um but yeah as explained it's uh it's it's the modern way of thinking should i say uh, that i think kids these days are doing and yeah, i'd also i think there's some sort of safety in doing a drill uh, a re re repetitive task where you can make yourself a little bit more comfortable with a skill uh, and a technique so when you can actually then take it into a game you you're, you're not feeling like it's coming too cold and you don't think afterwards oh if only i'd had that chance because games obviously create um competitive pressures and things don't appear in the right way and of course the other thing the great thing about drills i'm not saying they're all great uh, they have some positives and negatives is you probably do get more ch touches on the ball if it's a well-run exercise there are some challenges and it does give the player a bit more safety um, with a skill which they may feel a little bit more worried about. So uh, let's just turn that around as well to coaches because we talked about games are very much more the way that a lot of people are coaching these days. Uh, so given that coaches are using more games in training, what makes a game in training more powerful through the coach's introduction, interventions and follow-up? personally i do think it's all um, they all come everything comes around in a circle as i'm sure most of your listeners are, uh, would definitely understand that it, 
games is in in at the moment. Um, but it will swing back right back around soon. And before we know it, we'll be sitting here going, oh, drills are the way forward. We should definitely yeah. be doing drills. Um, Don't you so, dare say that G word. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It will it come down to that, I, I'd probably imagine. Uh, and I, Everybody can kind of see those circles happening in every kind of walks of life. So it's definitely going to happen in, in rugby. Um, I suppose the reason why I would use games quite a lot uh, would genuinely be because it's it's always a different picture. Uh, mm. You could practice the same same uh, skill, should I say, getting lots of repetition without repetition, in the sense mm. that it's always going to look different. You you might have a two v one, but it's in a completely different area of the pitch under different circumstances. That individual defender is coming from a different mm. angle, different. Um, a different scenario as in they might be down the floor there's so much that happens um constantly that it allows them to it, it you get more results out of it through doing it um in a game environment than you would in a repetitive drill where it looks the same all the time because in rugby we know it, it never looks the same you, you'll never score exactly the same try um as you would when you're doing it in a drill um so yeah, so you're so, so it is powerful, um, and we said earlier on you just don't just turn up and just give them a free form game. You've prepared uh, a lot before it. So you here we are at the at training, um, and this is your first words to the players about the game. What are you going to be saying to them, which is going to give them a better experience than here's a ball off you go. Um, no, it's a good question. I'd, I'd probably say. So, how do I introduce? Why would? How would I introduce the game? Mm. I would actually. It's, I start, it's quite interesting. I, I was coaching down on a Sunday morning with a bunch of under nines on a uh, like two three weeks ago, and we I managed to do the whole session, and it was just I didn't tell them anything. I just asked them questions. So, mm. the starting question at the beginning of the session is. Um, I want like we want to work we want to play to space how what kind of constraints can you put on the game that is going to allow us to play to space um, so it's asking these these kids and these are under nines remember um, questions just about how how you might achieve something yeah. now straight away they're going to give back some answers um, and it's about picking those appropriate answers that mm. are going to be going to the outcome in the back of my head so actually yes i want them to get to play to space i know that there's probably about three four five six different ways that they could play to space okay let's see what they come up with okay they come up with this answer let's explore that answer or they might have given out four answers and you choose the answer which is most appropriate to getting to your outcome and allow them to and then we can explore that um i agree i don't think necessarily telling them here's the game and this is how you're going to go and do it, it's going to be the best for them. Um, I, I suppose what they want and how, what I need them to get out of it um, is, a, is, is the, the kind of style I take with it, especially with kids. I mean, I'm put, talking to the majority here, which is there's dads that turn up on a Sunday morning mm. or coaches that turn up on a Sunday morning. Now, like, let's get it right, that these guys are there to develop the players. It's not, we, especially with the RFU stuff that they've brought out recently, which is it's not about winning. Uh, I actually think that's a, a very good thing. And I know I'll probably get challenged for that, but 
Um, it should all be about their development from these younger age groups. Uh, and they, the way that they, I, I, I don't know what it's like in Wales, but I know that uh, in England, the way they, they structure the playing system, that you learn something new each year in the sense that you don't just kick from the age of nine. Uh, mm. it's, it's, it's not bought in until actually like under 11s or 12s, where actually then you can spend a season understanding it and developing it and learning it a bit more. Um, and I think that's really powerful. And I think we have to understand that as coaches, um, what age group we're coaching and what are the skills needed within that age group, um, which I, I think is a massive success success in England uh, where people are doing it right in the sense that they're saying, okay, under nines is introduction to tackling. We've, we are just learning to tackling. So let's get on board with that and understand how we best do that. Um, and like let's get the basics sorted on tackling like how good would it be if we had everybody tackling properly all the time um, we'd probably have a lot less concussions and uh, it'd be such a better game to watch uh, I'll never forget going to watch uh, England train uh, I watched Johnny Johnny May make probably 17 tackles like just doing a drill and he got in his head on the wrong side pretty, pretty much every single time and it just shows that's at the top level like imagine if we taught them early and we taught them correctly when they were younger uh, and just took away that pressure of oh look it's all about winning which we've done now um, which is going to allow them to develop the skill correctly which we we ultimately want to save people falling out of the game Uh, that's my rant over on that (laughs) no no that's fine why not rant on it so uh, interestingly that you said uh, in your introduction now, I'm going to guess that the game is already set up. So you say, we're going to play this game. Uh, we're going to play a game with... Uh, you're going to outline a couple of the rules of the game. So you've got to pass backwards. It's going to be five aside or nine aside. This is the area you're playing in. Now you're going to... And then you say, now now I've given you that. This is, the, this is the question I want to ask you. Now, it might be then you add in some extra rules or constraints after that. But the the key for me is that you don't just go and say right there are, here are three rules uh, to the game off we go you you're gonna you're giving them some uh, bones to put the meat on uh, of the understanding before you start by asking the questions and that that that's a powerful introduction to a game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, right. Oh. So given given that I'm probably just answer my own question there, uh, which is no good. So now the game's up and running. And you're watching now. We we all know that uh, stopping games is a is a big no-no because the players want to keep on playing. So you're going to be intervening, and there will be some stoppages uh, at some stages. So what again are powerful ways to intervene to make sure that the the players are getting the most from the game? Yeah, I, th- I think you made a great point there about uh, we don't want it to stop all the time. Uh, I think we get very, and, and again, you probably would have seen that in the stuff that I shared earlier, earlier last week, which was around huddles and mm. like, why do we do them? And uh, I think as a co- as coaches, we think we're in a, we are in a very powerful position um, in the sense that we've, we, we are generally the ones who are creating the game, like you said, uh, and, and exploring a topic that we want to kind of um, get an outcome for. Um, but I sometimes feel like we just talk for the sake of talking. Mm. 
Um, so you're dead right that we don't want it to stop all the time. We do it, when we stop it, we want it to be for a right reason, and they, they should always be learning in that re, in that time of stoppage. It shouldn't be right. We're stopping now. Coach is talking, and my eyes are going to wander, which it normally happens with uh, nine-year-old kids, anything <laughs> up to well, even adults. You, you have them for about forty-five seconds to a minute before they've lost their concentration. So we need to make sure that everybody's learning in those uh, those breaks, um, and those those breaks, like I said, can be this is where we get to the real joyous bit of it is actually if we plan those breaks, go to the point of even saying, okay, we're going to call, call a, a stoppage here, but I'm going to get this person to lead in that, that huddle. I'm going to get that person to lead in this huddle, or giving little, uh, little Timmy and say, Timmy, I want you to go in and talk about this in that huddle before the huddle even gets set up. Yeah. We're allowing those kids to learn and develop their skills, uh, as players. Um, and I think it's important what you've just said there is that we, we can't expect players uh, of any age, really, to take control of situations which they're not used to taking control of. Now, some players will be very good. They are confident in front of their peers. But if we want to develop all the players, not all of them need to be the captain, uh, yet they still need to have some moment where they've got to help take control of everyone's learning. So giving little Timmy... Uh, that's not my brother. He's much bigger than me. Um, some some help, some support in terms of what they're going to say before they go in can give them a little bit of uh, additional confidence. As long as the the players then say, oh, "Timmy, that's exactly what Reese told you to say," then uh, you 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 get you create a more powerful powerful outcome. Now, well, yeah, I would yeah, definitely so- say if we're developing if we're developing kids and we're developing those players like the first thing I would say to that kid so Timmy's gone in little Timmy's gone in to say it and if he's the captain or he's the normal confident speaker I might talk to little Jenny on the side and say Jenny Timmy's going to go in and talk about this but I want you to go in and challenge him and say this so when they're already going into an environment where now the players are listening to what they're saying but then we're also challenging Timmy in the sense that we're going to challenge him and we haven't given him the answer yet Mm. so now these kids are learning, learning through just having a, a, a huddle set and prepped um, by the coaches, which we've had nothing to do with. We've not said anything, you know. We've just told the players before they've gone into the huddle um, what to expect and how to do it, um, which is it's, it's just guiding their learning in, a, in the right direction. Like I said, they should always be learning throughout the hour, hour and a half that they're there, you know. And it's important that coaches who are listening in don't think this is um, some sort of magic button which you press and everyone switches onto it. It takes a lot of time for lots of players to get used to this style and get used to the fact that they might be leading a huddle. Uh, you, They might find quite be quite nervous at the beginning and it might take a number of months before these the benefits start to, to show through. So it does require patience from from everybody and probably you're going to have to tee up the parents if you're working with the younger group or maybe tee up the team before and say look these are the sorts of things that are going to be happening um and expect them when they come because if you have to do something unexpected you're probably going to more likely to muck it up even if you're still trying it 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Look, patience is the key, key thing word there again that you use. Like this doesn't just click overnight. You don't just tell somebody, oh, this is how we're gonna do it and go off they go off and do it. Um it's far from perfect to start off with. And that that I, I I completely understand the frustration from uh the parents there as well in the sense that the coaches who are the parents of the players um especially in those younger age groups like that can be a real challenge you're like i'm an outside coach i come in sometimes they just they listen to you because you're different Mm. um but i would definitely recommend having some patience with these 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 coaches because yeah i can see their frustrations in the sense that some of them won't listen because they know who he that person is week in week out um but you you really yeah you've really got to get good at building your own game and building your own questions mm. and and like the answers to the questions in your head um, to really develop that skill. And patience is also key in asking questions and waiting for the answers because sometimes you ask someone on the spot and really they haven't had a chance to reflect on it and maybe it's a question you, you know, ask them now and say, I'm not going to ask for the answer yet. I'm going to ask at the end of the session or at the start of the next session, I'm going to be asking this question because it takes time for us to think through some of the answers. And sometimes we can't necessarily verbalize our thoughts and we need to think about it differently. So that's patience. I want to ask about the games themselves and um, games can be enhanced by uh, balls from different sports. Explain the benefits of using balls from different sports, like tennis balls, golf balls or footballs. And how often should we be substituting the rugby ball for the other sorts? Because it can't be you can't have a whole session, four sessions without a rugby ball in there. So there must be some form, again, of balance. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think every every session I would do, I would always have a rugby ball involved in it somewhere. Um, you're right you wouldn't go a long time without touching a rugby ball but I, I, I really value using the different balls and this I'll, I'll put it in a couple of contexts for you um, so people use a football quite a lot uh, reason why I, um, it's a lot easier to catch a rugby uh, catch a football than it is a rugby ball sometimes uh, it's a lot easier to kick a football than it is a kick a rugby ball. So for developing confidence in younger players, using different balls is by far sometimes the most more superior way of developing that person's needs. Mm. Um, so if I put it in a lady's perspective, should I say, um, most girls, it's changing a lot these days in the sense that when they were growing up, some of them barely even touched a football or a rugby ball. Like they've never kicked a ball before. So suddenly they come into, as they get older, they go into the girls' rugby environment and we're asking them to suddenly kick. Now, if they've never kicked a ball before or haven't grown up throughout their younger days, kicking the ball like, for example, boys used to do, Boys, most boys would have been playing football in the park or kicking a rugby ball about or playing some sort of ball sport when they were younger. Now, I know times have completely changed and most kids and girls growing up these days do use, uh, play probably play football and probably play rugby from a younger age. But some of those kids that haven't, you're teaching that you're telling them to go and kick a ball and they have never kicked it before. So sometimes starting with a real uh, easy version of a, a football, should we say, 
it's a lot easier to develop their confidence and build um, build some safe environments around mm. them learning um, because it can be hugely frustrating if you, you just give a girl a rugby ball or somebody who's never kicked a ball before a rugby ball uh, and go, go and kick that. Well, there's so much that you have to understand about the ball first before you kick, just go out and kick it. Um, so, yeah, so using those different balls in those, that, 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 that different kind of aspect to build confidence is great. Mm. Um, you could use balls in, like, different balls in quite a few different other scenarios. I, I used one the other week with uh, a Colts age group in the sense I gave each one of them a tennis ball. So they've all got a tennis ball. One team, have, everybody's got a tennis ball in their hand. Um, and the idea was that they play with a rugby ball, but they're always carrying a tennis ball in their hand. Now, that is just to make them start to think about, well, actually, how they're, they're catch and pass. They really have to think about catching the ball because they've got to work out how they're holding the other ball as well. Mm. And then how they transfer the ball into another hand to be able to move the ball away. Um, now, for example, that that there is developing their hand-eye coordination. It's it's making them think about the catch and the pass. Um, and then suddenly when you take that tennis ball out of their hand and say they're free, well, hold up now, they're suddenly like, well, this is easy. We can we can move the mm. ball. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like people use the ball in the sense of playing with a different ball um, most of the time. But I would also challenge them and say, well, can we do something like that? Can we give them all a tennis ball and say, you've got to hold on to that. If you drop that, that's going to be a turnover. Um, <laughs> or can we play almost two different games at once in the sense we'll play football and rugby at the same time. So we're thinking about our footwork and we're thinking about our moving the ball. Now, that might seem like it's completely un-rugby related, but the skills that they're developing in those those times of, uh, of those games really are... Um, invaluable to the game of game of rugby, really. And uh, another thing that you're saying, apart from just the confidence to play, uh, the confidence to develop a skill, it is just muddling them up a little bit as well, which um, creates different ways of developing your own thoughts and um, ways of building a skill and that's yeah. that's very important because if you do it the same way every single time you you be you you don't enhance your learning as much so i suppose my last question to you because i mean obviously we we go on for uh, absolute ages because i've got a whole yes. pile of questions here is that um uh, in games in training don't always display those instant successes so you might have uh, said right we're going to do this we're going to play to space but the players never actually get there uh, so, I mean, it's obviously impatience and coaches need to realise that some games aren't going to give you instant success. What, for you, are the measures of success? Um, yes. Uh, well, good question, mate. Uh, so whenever I coach, I actually, I mean, even through Irish, I know that was the way that Irish coach um, is mainly principle based. Now, by that, I mean we'll have a set of principles um, that we would coach to, um, which will will give us the, the a, a success ratio for us uh, as coaches. So if I talk about, let's talk about the London Irish uh, principles. So they have play to space, fight and play, and get the ball back. Now, if I'm trying to measure success in the sense of play to space, now... 
if some of the players, it, it's not quite getting there or it is getting there, the way I can always confirm it back to me is like how how have we got success out of that is the f- the fact that they're thinking about trying to play the space. Um, so how do I determine whether I'm getting success from that? Is if if I can see that the players are intentionally trying to get there or they are intentionally trying to solve that problem, which is going to allow us to play to space. Um, then for me, that's where as coaches we need to understand that's where the patience come from. If we could see them sparking some thought um, and and some and really seeing their clogs thinking, you know, uh, clicking around, you know, like working in their head, that for me is where we can define success. Like we know it's going to come. It might not be there now, but they are seriously thinking about that problem. Um, that it's going to allow them to, with a bit of persistence and a little bit of um, good coaching from me as the coach, I know I can probably guide them down that right route. Um, so that's quite a high level skill that you're challenging them with because you're trying to get them there as a group to think about decision making to move the ball to space uh, and some players will be naturally in that mode they think those things all the time so if we looked at England for instance you can see someone like George Ford has um, an amazing picture of the game he can see uh, mm. three four moves ahead now that's what we'd hope from your uh, number 10. Now let's uh, take a, let's go forward to someone like Carl Sinclair. Now he isn't, he doesn't necessarily need to make the same sort of macro decisions uh, about moving the ball to space, but he does have an extremely important part to play in that. How are we as coaches going to create questions which help players like the Sinclairs and the George Fords? Because we don't really want uh, to be asking them the same question all the time because they've got such different roles. Um, now, I'm just trying to think off the top of my head what questions I might be asking because I wouldn't be asking them always the same questions. So how, how do you approach that? Because remember, coaches are, are listening in and thinking, right, I am just trying to develop this and my players are only two steps behind me. What sort of suggestions would you have for coaches who may be coming to games not for the first time, but quite raw in terms of trying to develop them. Um, well, I would definitely not challenge, but I would I would say something different on what you said about the different needs. Um, mm. I do think that. Well, imagine if we imagine how if we had fifteen George Fords on the pitch who mm. are all thinking and acting like George Ford. Now, I'm not saying um, that yes, you have to take away. Uh, like Carl Sinclair or Dan Cole, or Joe Marler's kind of um, role within the team. Mm. But if they've all got the ability to be able to ball handle, find space and create, uh, be able to spot space as well as George Ford, then that's where we're, we're, we're actually creating a winner. Oh, aren't we? oh yeah, oh, definitely. But I'm, so, think, I'm thinking that, uh, that though that is, um, that's where we want to get to, but with the raw material in front of us, uh, George Ford is going to be 50% further along the road than Carl yes. uh, Sinclair. So we're going to have to ask a different question to George Ford to challenge him than to Carl Sinclair, though we all want them to end up yeah. at the same destination. So I would definitely, and that's where I suppose if we go back a couple of questions to what you're mm. um, like, how do you constrain through like interventions? Um, mm. 
I would definitely say that's where individual interventions are massive. Um, so how can I individually constrain the player like Carl Sinclair um, to develop his skills within his format? So the game's still going on. They still uh, got the same. Uh, it's still got the same outcome that everybody's trying to achieve. Mm. Uh, but the players in those specific positions, I'm going to give them some more individual challenges or some individual constraints in the sense that I'll be like, yeah, for example, yeah, Carl Sinclair player kind of player. I'll be like, you have to, you've got to get five tip passes, you know, like just little um, offload tip passes before contact, um, which is then now allow going to allow him to go away and try and get that outcome in the game. Um, now, I would then individually talk to him and say, Carl, why did I get you to do that? What, what's the outcome? Why are you trying to achieve that? Uh, why am I telling you to do that? Oh, actually, because we're trying to play to space and me moving the ball before contact is going to allow us to play to space. Correct. Well done. Okay, so now we can start to develop Carl's skills and Carl's thinking while the game's still going on. Um, what, and it's not taking anything away from the George Ford kind of player um outside of that in the sense the game is still allowing him to learn and develop um while as a coach i've individually challenged kyle now doing i'm not saying that there's a million and one coaches out there so that you can all you can focus on somebody's individual needs every single session i'm completely agree but there is enough i imagine most most cage groups that i know You'd get, or most clubs that I know, you'd have a, a coach and you'd at least have an assistant coach, or you would at least have another two, maybe three coaches. And if you're lucky, I know I've seen it in some age groups, you could have up to like eight, ten coaches. So, or dads helping out, you know. So, what what are all those eight, ten coaches doing? We could have somebody leading the game, we could have somebody um, doing a skill zone on the side, but then there's those other coaches, I would challenge that actually they, they're the ones that could go out and give some individual constraints and give some individual challenges to players to allow them to develop in the appropriate way. Yeah, and which really sort of brings us right back to the start, really, which is uh, that you can't just do that off the cuff. You've got to have some form of plan of where you want to go. So they're not coming in and giving, they're asking questions which are then going against, against someone else's intervention. You need to have some sense of direction and Really, I think one of the things which you, you've done uh, particularly uh, well in the last uh, few months, it sounds like uh, I'm praising your coaching, which of course I am, is that you've <laughs> challenged coaches by putting out this information, saying, look, here we're going to play a game, but these are the questions that you should be asking yourself and then asking for the players. And when a coaching group gets together before a game, you should be saying, right, this is where we want to go can you challenge this player and this player and this player to do this so we can actually give them a much greater game experience rather than them running around in, in circles, not really knowing what they well, want to achieve. Exactly that. Exactly that. We, 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 we want people that can know how to solve their own problems within a game um, rather than kids that just know how to play a great game. Um, mm. Like it, it, it's always a frustration of mine that whenever you're playing games that, training tries should we say like the kids love it they don't want to score they always want to score but how much, as coaches we have to step back and say well what are we actually getting out of this yes they're scoring some lovely tries but what's the actual outcome of this like why what are we actually doing this game for 
Um, and that's it's always it's always a hard thing to say because the kids look like they're enjoying it and they're loving it. But you remember as coaches, you you're there to develop them, um, and and how we do that through the game um, is quite important. And if, if you think people are learning from those kind of those games and those outputs, look, I'm more than happy to create some more. I think they're um, I think that if they're valuable, I'm more than happy to put some stuff out there. So. No, I think, well, they are very valuable. And as you said, I think probably your own mantra is, uh, how can I challenge you? Yeah. And that's that's very important. Our coaches need to be challenged all the time. And I think m- most of the coaches who've been the most successful are saying, well, I've um, I learnt as much as this, this year as I've learnt last year and so on and so forth, because they're always wanting to grow. I mean, they know what works a lot, uh, yet... They will then want to improve, as you said, their their craft, and uh, that's always wanting to. Uh, that's always what us wanting to develop. Hey, Reese, if um, if people want to sort of discover a bit more um, and see what you're doing, you're on Twitter. So what? Where? How do they find you on Twitter? Uh, it's just uh, at rugby Reese nine. It's a bit. I think that's what it is. I'm not sure. I haven't been on it. Um. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it, it's yeah, random one from years ago. So at Rugby Reese Nine, um, or you could find us on the London Irish uh, Academy page, um, which is it's, I think it's just called the London Irish Academy. Um, or if you wanted to, if you wanted to grab my email, it's not a problem. It's Reese dot Davies at London dash Irish dot com. Um, and Davies is spelled, and Reese is spelled R H Y S dot D A V I E S. So very Welsh way. <laughs> but I think you said you weren't. You didn't think you were. No, uh, I haven't actually got any. I haven't got that much Welsh in me. No, um, yeah. I just uh, mum liked the name. I, I think yeah. when I was growing up. Yeah. Right. Well, Reese, thank you very much uh, for your insights and also just um, sort of. Uh, using a phrase coined earlier on is uh, putting a bit more meat on the bones of games how you approach it and how coaches should keep challenging themselves challenging their players and uh, a lot around about the fact that the game is not just for the sake of the game there's lots that you can you can develop out of it so Reese, thank you very much for your time no worries at all Dan thank you very much any time I'm more than happy to help oh great well I'm going to be um, hopefully getting you back on very soon to ask you some more more questions but uh, again lots lots to take away from that Um, so that's a rugby coach weekly podcast you can go along to the rugbycoachweekly.net website and click on the podcast button to find out lots of other podcasts from coaches from different walks of life so thank you very much for listening and catch up with you soon yeah thank you dan mate cheers okay cheers reese Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.